Welcome to Ag Credit Set It, the podcast for farm newbies and seasoned professionals alike. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from across the agriculture industry to bring you insights, advice, and must-have information on all things rural living, from farming to finances and everything in between. So let's get to it. Welcome back to Ag Credit Set It. It's Matt and Libby here today with an exciting interview for the end of the year. Hard to believe it's almost 2022 already. And Matt, I am so excited for our interview today with Dr. Cole. I am. This is one I've really been looking forward to. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of good information here um, to put out on this. Today we have with us Dr. David Cole, Professor Emeritus at Virginia Tech. Dr. Cole is an academic Hall of Famer in the College of Agriculture at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. He has a keen insight into the agriculture industry gained through extensive travel, research, and involvement in ag businesses. He has traveled nearly 10 million miles, conducted more than 6,500 presentations, and published more than 2,250 articles in his career. Dr. Cole's wisdom and engagement with all levels of the industry provide a unique perspective into future trends. Well, welcome back uh, here with Matt and Libby, and we want to welcome Dr. Cole with us today. You know, uh, Dr. Cole, I know you've been doing a lot of traveling here lately, kind of seeing uh, some different areas, you know, probably a lot of different land value uh, changes uh, through the grain belt. Harvest uh, look like it's wrapping up for for most of the area out there, is it? Yeah, it's uh, real interesting. I was in Billings, Montana, of course, uh, out there. They're more, uh, you know, the wheat and uh, uh, livestock markets. Uh, believe it or not, out there, the land values are not hot. They, I think they had year over year about a 4% increase. Going into Northwest Iowa and in Nebraska, I would say about 90% of the harvest is done. Um, you know what's real interesting there? I can tell land values just uh, are hot. By, and the economy, ag economy is hot there. By just looking out the windshield, I see a lot of land clearing going on. Anytime you see a lot of land clearing going on, uh, you know you've got a hot economy, but uh, it's real interesting. Uh, they're paying anywhere from 20 to $30,000 an acre uh, for farm ground. And they had some that was marginal uh, that, uh, last week that uh, sold for about $18,000 an acre. And it's real interesting. Uh, it's not outside investors. Uh, it's uh, uh, basically people that are 60 uh, years and older uh, just uh, acquired more land out there for their uh, children uh, to farm. Yeah, that makes it tough for, for the young farmers to come in, but to have that family support really, really helps them out. Um, I know that harvest is wrapping up here in Ohio, and I, in my conversations with my farmers here, I'm planning for 2022. One of their biggest questions is what's going on with fertilizer prices, and is it the supply chain that's affecting it, or what is what is affecting that fertilizer price increase? It's interesting uh, out there, Libby. That's the trillion-dollar question. Uh, uh, I was on a, a Zoom cast to uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, same question. I think when you look at uh, fertilizer, uh, there's a couple elements going on. Uh, number one, uh, China produces about 30% of our fertilizer. And of course, uh, they're keeping it home or they're sending it to Brazil because uh, through their Silk and Belt Road initiative, uh, they build a lot of infrastructure in that uh, region of the world. The other element, Libby, 
uh, that's real interesting. Uh, Russia produces, uh, you know, the elements there. And uh, also they're kind of flexing their muscle as well. But beyond supply chains, I think one of the things I know we have our agriculture operation, which is dairy, beef, and hay. We're looking at going to poultry litter this year because this may be in here for a, a little extended period of time because, and I'm not being politically correct on this, we got out of in front of our ski going to the green movement. And what we've done is we've disinvested in fossil fuels. Uh, you know, companies like Exxon, they've kind of shut it down. And whether it's the pipelines or fracking or, you know, all those elements, you got to keep in mind that eight out of every $10 a farmer or a rancher spends somehow connected to energy. And of course, fertilizer, chemicals, and all those cropping costs are related to uh, uh, those energy uh, uh, situations. And you can really feel this uh, coming. Uh, we had a period of uh, low energy costs because we were, we, the United States of America, we were the number one producer of energy in the world. And our neighbors to the north, Canada was fourth and Mexico eighth. But what's happened in the past 12 months, we're unraveling that. And so, as I told the producers up in uh, the prairie provinces of Canada, you have got to look at every one of your fields you've got to be doing the soil testing and you know uh, we're thinking about dropping about 30 percent of our acreage it's uh, kind of marginal land it's also doesn't quite fit our you know operation and uh, so i think uh, line by line management is going to be really critical but it, it again it's more in supply chains it's the whole energy complex so you think that a lot of farmers are going to have to be really looking at each of their fields and really looking at maintaining the land, not really adding more or building more in the soil. And then I know we've had a lot of customers actually that have been switching to chicken litter because we have a local place that produces it. So that has been a switch that we've seen here locally. Well, you know, Libby, one of the things that uh, we were discussing, uh, my son and I, is that uh, we wanted to build up the organic matter in the soil. And uh, we said, this is a great opportunity to be able to do that. Now, one of the things that we've got to do is go. To, we're going to go around and notify all the neighbors uh, because they haven't had that smell <laughs> in that area. And so it's going to take a little bit of neighbor relations. But again, some of our neighbors... Uh, we're near Blacksburg, uh, you know, home of Virginia Tech. We're about, this farm would be about 12 miles outside. These folks are kind of environmentally conscious. And so what we're trying to do, we'll position it that uh, we're building up the organic matter, which we needed to do on these farms anyhow, and it's a great opportunity. And uh, uh, one of the things that we found is the poultry litter right now, and we've already locked in on it, is about the cost of what we paid for fertilizer last year. And so uh, it's not saying that we're going to go totally away from it, uh, but uh, uh, we're definitely making that strategic move this year. Hey, well, at least control the costs uh, a little bit on that aspect. And I, I kind of wonder what's on a lot of producers' minds, too. Um, even me personally, home on our farm, when we look at these challenges, am I going to change my crop plan up for next mm -hmm. year? Am I going to plant as many acres of corn versus soybeans? Uh, you know, that was interesting when I was up there in um, northwest Iowa. It's actually a place called Spencer, Iowa, and it's, you know, uh, just south of the Minnesota border. Many of those producers, you know, in the lunch conversation were saying, well, 
maybe I'm going to move a little bit more to beans and, you know, uh, we're looking at other enterprises. But, you know, as some of them said, we've got to kind of keep an eye on what's going on in South America right now, because you see they're in their summer, spring and summer season. And so a lot of our prices up here in the Northern Hemisphere may be dictated to what happens down the Southern Hemisphere. So what you got to do, you kind of got to think globally and watch what's going on globally and then bring it down to uh, your uh, specific operation. And then the other element, you got to think through the production, the marketing and risk, uh, you know, we're going to have a market for it. And uh, so uh, there's quite a a few complexities in there that it's going to really require astute planning. (laughs) Definitely. You know, I I think one of the other things we kind of look at, too, we look at uh, the income that we've had on a farm operation over the last couple of years. You know, government payments have definitely played a part in helping our farm net income this year. You know, our crop, we've had record yields and very good prices, which has kind of uh, helped ease some of the uh, the stress there. You know, what's your thoughts, you know, future government payments and can they be sustained if, uh, you know, a downtrend hits the egg uh, commodities again? Well, Matt, I want you to think steroids. <laughs> and, and what I'm trying to say is like an athlete on steroids, their heads get bigger, their arms get bigger, but it's false. And, and, and I, and I, I got to be really candid with you. These government payments come with no cost of production. And that really hit a lender the other day. He said, I never thought about that. In other words, the checks were written out. There's no cost of production. And I was looking at the FinBin data uh, the other day, and that's 3,500 farms over 22 states. And it was interesting. On grain farms, I want everybody to listen to this. of the net farm income was a government check. On dairy farms, it was 72%. Hog farms, 127%. Beef farms, 108%. So in that context, I think as we look at 22 and 23, 2022 and 2023, what's going to be our plan post, uh, you know, government uh, support? We're still going to have. And so what you got to do, Uh, When you're setting down and analyzing your year ends or your year end trends from 2016 on, you've got to look at that line called government payments. The question you've got to ask is, is it reoccurring or non-reoccurring? For example, conservation, you know, uh, program, that'll be a reoccurring government payment. But then some of the, you know, the PPP money and different money, that's not going to be around. So what's going to be our plan post uh, you know, government payments reoccurring, non-reoccurring. You know, another uh, uh, trend that I see uh, occurring, picking up steam in 23, 24, and 25, more of our government payments are going to be green payments. In other words, what are we doing for environment conservation, uh, et cetera, et cetera, because some monies have been put in that place. So, to answer your, you know, the question, we're still going to have government payments around, but we'll see a shift uh, uh, toward uh, the uh, uh, green element. But the other element is uh, we really got to look at that bottom line and just say, how dependent are we on those government payments? And what scares me is some people made some long-term investments out there in machinery and equipment or land. You know, those debt service payments are still going to come about, you know, for a five or a seven or a 10-year period. And 
can you still make those debt payments? I call it overhead payments, uh, overhead cost payments uh, without the government spigot there. Because again, what you're going to find is, think about this, $2 billion a day was going for government payments worldwide in agriculture. And uh, that's not sustainable. It'll basically break the government. And uh, uh, so life after government payments is probably one of the things strategically we have to think about. I, we have the dairy creamery, we have the farms here, uh, but then uh, I think everyone's going to have to think about it. And that's going to really uh, require looking at those financials line by line management. And I, I think, you know, even here locally in our area here in Northwest Ohio, uh, you know, our state has put out the H2 Ohio program, uh, which is, you know, basically repaying producers for pretty much the practices that we were doing already. Uh, so I, we have that one big push. Um, the area um, I, I farm at in Paulding County, Ohio, a very heavy agriculture, very rural community. Um, we've had uh, a lot of uh, the wind energy, uh, solar energy farms coming in. I, and that's been a big part that, you know, guys are able to lease that ground and make a pretty substantial uh, income from uh, leasing out to these wind and solar farms. And I, I wonder if that's a trend that's going to continue to grow. Um, and there again, I know a lot of it is government subsidy back to, to help finance these projects. It's real interesting. I flew into Omaha and I, it's a three hour drive, three and a half hour drive up to uh, Spencer. And I reflected, I've been doing, you know, a similar trip 40 years ago. And what did I see out there on the landscape? Fewer uh, uh, farmstead lights, in other words, fewer farmsteads. But what did I see? The big wind towers, you know, up there. And it was just amazing how that has kind of uh, come in. And we're definite, definitely seeing that whether I'm in Ohio, which I, you know, occasionally I'll drive from central Indiana, you know, down through your area, or whether I'm out in Iowa, we're definitely seeing um, uh, that infrastructure definitely taking place uh, nationwide. And, and again, we do have some outside investors coming in betting that uh, the green energy is going to pick up steam. So we're starting to feel some of that pressure of uh, what we'd call the non-traditional investor coming in, uh, targeting that as well. But one of the things that, you know, as we go toward this green movement and your government payments are associated with it, you know what? One thing's going to be real critical, record keeping, transparency. Yes. The whole thing is, you know, I know it's one of those things I kind of cringe at, but uh, uh, Alicia's really good at record keeping here in the office. My wife is at home. and But one of the things, having that transparency is going to be very, very critical moving forward. So it's, we're going to have to step the game plan up on uh, record keeping and transparency. I think that's one thing we look at as, as farmers. So many people think of us as you would, would just go out and play in the dirt, you know, for 12 hours a day. There's so many different hats that a farmer has to wear from agronomist, uh, chemist, uh, banking, you know, government regulations. I mean, you name it. Uh, we we have to know a little bit about about everything. 
And, and you know, Matt, and right along with that, that's what's exciting about my new generation of farmers and ranchers. And I do probably what about 20 multiple day programs around the country. And it's so exciting seeing this new energy coming into agriculture. And they realize the importance of uh, working on the books or working on the finances. And they fully realize people management and that uh, uh, what we call business IQ is going to be extremely, extremely important out there. So that's that's something I see very, very positive. <laughs> Yes, it is exciting. I, those are the customers that I love to work at, the ones that are business minded. And it's it's just it's very exciting to work with them and the, bringing on the new technology pieces to to their um, operations. And from what everything that we've talked to you about, it sounds like it's coming down to the management piece and how they're man making management decisions this year. And I know you always say sweat the small things. Yeah. So what small things should uh, our farmers be sweating in the next year? It's funny, I, Libby, you're a good listener. <laughs> You've heard that too many times out there. But, I, you know, I'll joke aside, I was in Ames, Iowa a few years ago, and I was a moderator of a panel. And there happened to be a lady, she earned her master's degree at Iowa State and uh, in animal science and agronomy. And she says, you know, it's really interesting. 95% of uh, what I do is actually working with agriculture producers on their financials. <laughs> and she said, I would have never envisioned that. And I says, well, what makes the difference between, I'd say, the average below average and the above average? She says, it's very simple. They sweat the small stuff. And so that's where I get that quote, uh, sweat <laughs> the small stuff. You know what? And, and, and it's analogous. You know, Libby, uh, you worked uh, with the Ohio State basketball team. And I coach basketball. And one of the things is farming today is a lot like uh, uh, basketball. 95% of the time, the ball's not in your hands. It's what you do away from the ball. And you see, the, the sweat in this small stuff is kind of like doing those things that, oh, I, they don't show it on ESPN, the dunk or whatever, but it's all those little things that are important. Can I give you one of those little things? For this year, one of the things that's going to be critical is developing a cash flow. I almost tore my hair out the other day in Montana when a lender out there, and it didn't work for farm credit, I was a, <laughs> a banker. He said, well, I do my cash flows for my customers. And he says, I just can't get them to do cash flows. To, and all of a sudden, he goes, well, you teach all that and everything, but I just can't get them to do it. Well, the rest of the bankers said, well, we're getting more and more of our customers doing cash flows. So it kind of shut him up, you know, but <laughs> it, 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 doing the cash flow. Can I tell you why that's important? It's 80% of a business plan because you got to think your production plan, which we talked about, your marketing, your risk management, your operations and your finance. And so a lot of people throw their hands up. Well, I can't do a, a projected cash flow. I don't know you know, what production's gonna be or prices or cost. Well, that's where you get the spreadsheet out. And if you don't know how to do spreadsheets, get somebody younger around you. And by the <laughs> way, all, all of your children and, and grandchildren in school, if the school does not teach spreadsheets, fire them. <laughs> okay. yes. Because spreadsheets are very, very critical. And uh, what we've got to do on those spreadsheets is expand our guardrails. Uh, because, you know, cost 
like fertilizer, some of those costs could be up 20, 30%. And then the prices are going to be all over the board. And so what we've got to do, that thing called financial sensitivity analysis is going to be real critical. And then I got to tell you another thing that's real critical and sweating the small stuff. You cannot, and I, I'll emphasize this, look at your financials once a year. Drive-by financials, don't cut it. What's happening is, uh, you know, you're going to have to look at it monthly or quarterly uh, because what you're going to have to do is kind of tweak your plan. It's kind of like you go into the basketball game and football game. You, you got your plays set. But what you're going to have to do is kind of adjust it as game conditions change. And so I know people roll their eyes about doing a projected cash flow, but uh, that's what we're doing at the Creamery. And actually, we're watching our cash flows weekly at the Creamery right now. We're in eggnog custard season right now. And boy, we've got some targets. We've got to sell X amount every week to make our coverage ratio at the end of the year. <laughs> and uh, you see how you, you link your sales and your production right to your coverage ratio, which you folks, that's one of the ratios that you really look at. So uh, I've rambled on there, but I get excited about that. And uh, uh, doing those projected cash flows, very, very critical. And by the way, this is how a young farmer and rancher, I say rancher because I do a lot of stuff in the western part of the United States. That's where you can gain the competitive advantage over the land equity type of uh, older farmer. You know that that's a that's a great point, Doctor Cole, and that brings me kind of one thoughts I had. And we talk about our young producers. You know, we call our, our ag star guys at the on the ag credit side. Do you think going forward in this next twelve months is this a good time for our young producers? to look to expand, to gain that competitive edge, or sit back, service some debt, you know, stay conservative and ride the storm? I tell you, uh, I get asked that. And a lot of young farmers, should I buy this land or whatever? First of all, you've got to test, uh, you know, your uh, changes that you're going to make uh, to your vision and goals that you've outlined. This is why right after the first year or over the holidays here is to uh, establish your goals short term under one year, longer term three to five years. And any decision you make, is it consistent with your goals, your family goals or your personal goals? It's called the sniff test. <laughs> and uh, uh, for some folks, you know, by purchasing some land or purchasing equipment or adding additional acreage, might have to take on a considerable amount of debt. The second sniff test is if you can't sleep at night, it's probably against your internal compass. <laughs> or a spouse or a partner can't sleep at night. It might be, in other words, you got to run it uh, uh, by. And so uh, I hate to give a lawyer answer. It depends. But that goal setting really kind of helps you. The other element is that uh, we're probably going to be moving into a period, I don't mean to be a gloom and doomist, we're probably going to be going into a phase one downturn. In other words, margins are going to be kind of crunched and different things like this. So people are probably going to uh, be tapping the brakes and probably not quite as aggressive as they have been. And so finding that opportunity. And by the way, what I like about young farmers, they're into everything. Gigging. <laughs> no, they are. And it's exciting. They might be a welder on the side. They, 
a shortage of truckers right now. You know, they might be doing that. They might teach ag. They might be a basketball coach or a lender. Uh, and so what they do is they're able to put this cash flow together to be able to service debt that normally wouldn't have been able to be serviced if it was just the traditional corn or beans or hogs. You follow where I'm coming from? And so oh, yeah. putting that plan together, it's uh, we had over here in Maryland, a young couple, he's a welder, she teaches ag. And uh, they uh, are buying their uh, third farm now. They paid for two of them that way. And they said, this is a, you know, we're able to expand our operation because we're able to multiply uh, our leverage, uh, that gig income. We call it gig income. You know what the other thing that this couple was doing? As much as we talk about farm budgeting, uh, they had their personal finances down. In other words, she was on Quicken and she knew exactly how much family living withdrawals and and they were a little bit conservative. And as they said, every dollar you save on family living is like a dollar forty, uh, because that, that's usually after taxes. And uh, so again, it's that little small stuff. So I didn't answer your question, but you run it by your goals. Can you sleep at night? And then is it consistent? Um, you know, with where you want to be three years or five years on out there. I Can I just tell you one thing? We ask a group of young farmers what keeps them up at night. And uh, I surveyed them this summer. And, uh, you know, it was these inflating costs, possibly higher interest rates and trying to explain the operation to a spouse or partner that didn't grow up on a farm. Yeah. But you know what their number one was? Mom and dad won't tell us what's in the transition plan. They're buying all this land, but they won't tell us what's in the transition or the, you know, the estate plan. And uh, I want to give that message out there on the podcast. Uh, hopefully some of the older generation is listening to it. Uh, that is going to require a lot of emphasis with the changes, possible changes in the tax laws. But uh, don't hold the younger generation hostage. <laughs> Yeah, I would say, Dr. Gold, that is a very big piece that's happening with the farmers that we see. And the younger generation is trying to plan ahead of, okay, how are we going to buy machinery? Is the older generation buying it or are we buying it? And, you know, and, and it seems like the older generation is dragging their feet a little bit because they don't want to deal with it. And they, they just don't want to think about it. And I know that has been, I would say, I don't know about you, Matt, but that has been a struggle for some of per, my personal customers on the transition piece. And I've even got on my family, like, we have to get this done. <laughs> we got to figure this out. Well, and I think, you know, one thing I've seen is dealing with a lot of our members. And I don't know if it's just that it seems like the young generation we're working with now that they're looking for that transition plan. Uh, they want to, hey, we want to get stuff set up so we know where this farm's heading in the future. The generation before seems like they, I want to say necessarily got a late start in it, but yeah. took ownership later than maybe what their parents did. So they're not really ready to toss the keys yet. They, you know, they haven't had it for as long. And I, I think that's, it just seems to me like it's, it's kind of getting a longer term time when we transition this farm to, to the next operators. Well, you're spot, both of you are spot on on this. And, and what's real interesting, uh, we're living four times longer in our retirement years than we did 40, 50 years ago. And it doesn't mean that we're living four times longer. It's in your retirement years. <laughs> 
And you look at it with technology we have today, um, producers can be active. You know, you got your cab tractors. You know, sometimes I'm the older generation. I have to be taught, <laughs> you know, what's going on. <laughs> but, you know, that is, you brought up a very valid point. And, and so that is playing right into, you know, this whole idea. But, you know, one of the big mistakes is, is turning the, you know, management over at the age of 50 and 60, you know, the 90 year old or 80 year old that does that, uh, that can result into some uh, uh, issues out there. But now the older generation, I can empathize with them uh, because a lot of their self-worth is in their farm. <laughs> and uh, so it's a, it's, it, it's not only a financial aspect, it's an emotional aspect. <laughs> and when it hits the old emotional aspect, you know what happens? Communication shuts right down. And uh, yeah. as I told a group the other day, I said, you're probably going to spend at least 100 to 200 hours on transition planning. And it's probably going to cost you a half to 1% of your asset base. And I says, if you don't do that, the ultimate winner is uh, our uncle. Uncle Sam and yeah. some high price lawyers and accountants, you know. So I did a whole series on this uh, just before Thanksgiving. It's been two nights before Thanksgiving. I'm sure I destroyed a lot of Thanksgiving dinners. <laughs> uh, it was called Turkey Talk on Transition in Tennessee, good old Rocky Top. And uh, uh, but I really laid out, you know, how do you get the process going? How do you continue it? How do you bring it to the finish line? It, it, it's it's a process. There's no doubt doubt about that. And I think it's a, I think it's a continuing process too. I mean, once you have a plan in place, things always change. So it's something that you continually look at and work on um, as the years goes on as well. You know, Libby, you worked with the basketball team over at the Ohio State <laughs> University, <laughs> and I work at. You, you think about a coach. Well, think about what's going on today with all the portals and everything. Uh, transition management is probably one of the top issues uh, they're facing coaches today. <laughs> and so transition planning is just not only uh, to a farm or a small business out here. Uh, it, it's to your organization. It's to our organization. And uh, uh, so you have to make some time for that. It is a process. And just like doing a cash flow, you occasionally come, you got to come back and look at it. And you got to tweak it because conditions will change. Well, sounds like we have a lot of management items to look at. And we thank you, Dr. Cole, for coming on oh. the podcast today. Yeah, we very, very enjoyed having you. It's been a this privilege. Is, hey, it's been a pleasure. And I always enjoy working with y'all. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. We look forward to bringing you more new episodes starting January 3rd, 2022. From all of us here at Ag Credit Set It, we want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Set It. Want to talk ag in between episodes? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Credit. For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net. And be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Catch you next time.